I love specifically what we're talking about today. And uh, it's a little bit different. We're in a series called Doubting God, but we're kind of not deviating from that, but it's like a branch off of that. And it's something that I've dealt with with my entire life of just looking at myself and my giftings and my, what's the opposite of giftings? The, my non-giftings, my, uh, where I wish I was gifted. I wish, how many of us wish that in some areas of your life you wish you were born a little bit different? Not, you're a boy and you're a woman, but you're a girl, not that. I'm talking about, you know, you wish you had this gifting. You look at that person, you say, I wish I was more like that. I, w- I wish I was more outgoing and I'm, I'm kind of scared and shy. I wish I wasn't so shy. And then someone that was are outgoing, we wish we were more shy than, you know, it's the opposite. We usually want to be someone that we're really not. And we need to remember, not this is not a sermon giving you permission to just kind of not grow in Christ and not grow as an individual, but it's, it's to receive what God has. He has created you perfectly. You know, none of us, this is something that I... Uh, had to accept along from day one as a Christian. I I wasn't born as an accident. See, I'm a twin. My mom never said, "Oh, you're you're the accident one," but I was the unplanned one. She never said that and said, "Man, you were just an accident." You know, she never said that. My mom was wonderful. She never said that. I don't know how they eighteen two eighteen year olds had two twins. I could not survive that. Uh, to a Hayden would have messed with me. Not right now. He's, he's an easy kid now, believe it or not. But to have two kids up in the middle of the night screaming uh, when they were newborn, I couldn't handle that. I don't know where I'd be. So I've always felt, not from my mom, not from God, I always felt like um, not really planned. But then day one of becoming a Christian, I've always felt like the Lord said, no, I planned you exactly as you are. And other people who wish that I was a certain way or I'm not the way that I wish I was. God says, I've created you exactly as I've made you. You need to walk in that, trust in that, that the things that he's called all of us to, he created us in a perfect way just to use us for these specific situations. And so over the years, we've been talking about doubting God. I've, been, I've had highs and lows. How many of us have ever had highs? You've been on the mountaintop with God going, yeah, I could save everybody. Then you've had lows. And maybe your lows are more prominent than your highs. And it doesn't matter right now. What matters is that where you are, if you're, if you're in the valley, that you continue to lean upon God. It's easy to be on the mountaintop and go, yeah, I got, I got this. But what we're doing is because I have doubted God from time to time, I want to be honest about something else. That over the years, more than doubting God... I've doubted myself. I've doubted who God created me to be. I said, God, you're calling me to something that I am not even gifted at. Because here's the, this is not against giftings at all. Like, there's a reason why you have a gifting, you know. If you were born to play drums, all of a sudden you have this beat. You know, there's a drum set up there. You know, that, that may be your here's, your, here's your sign, you know, here's your clue, right? Maybe there's, if you have a gifting, that may be why you have that gifting, but... For some of us, you don't have the gift. You have that heart for a certain thing to do, and you don't have that specific gifting. Um, you may still be called. How do I know that? Because I, be, I felt called to ministry, and I got a D in my speech class. That's, that's speech not like learning to – I couldn't say my R's. That's a different speech class. 
my, I'm talking about speech that you had to note cards and you had to, you had to present a, a whatever, an argument. And I remember just shaking and nervous and caught in mouth and uh, almost passing out because I didn't want to do it because I was like, people are staring at me. And God, you have a sense of humor because I didn't have the actual natural ability to be charismatic. And I, I was more like a, uh, and even if I went into my office, I said, Dwayne, I need to tell you my sermon first. I would be a little nervous. Now it's like, here, who wants to hear my sermon? I'll just preach it right now. But for some reason, my family doesn't want to hear me preach at the house yesterday. You know, I went into the bedroom and practiced out loud, which is fine. But we all doubt ourselves from time to time. Here's why. It's because I know where I'm weak. I know the me that you don't see. How many of us... You're the same on the outside than you are in your heart. For some of us, maybe that's true. You don't change. You are who you are. But then if you're normal, human, what's normal anyway? If you're human, you have an outward persona that you present to people. And then when you're by yourself, you have that persona on the inside that you don't want people to know. Because what would they, what would they think if they saw the real me? And that's where I wrestle with. Now, most people that know me, they just, what you see is what you get normally with me, um, good and bad. But I know the voice in my mind that says not so kind things about myself because I compare myself to other pastors, other preachers, um, anyone that's up front in front of people, teachers, people who sing. You're going to compare yourselves to other people, even just all of us. You're going to compare yourself to someone else that you wish you were more like, and you're like, why, God? I am so insecure. Maybe you're like, God, why in the world would you choose to love me? Why, would you, why in the world would you choose to use someone like me to change the people? Around? Listen, and I've used this term from the beginning of my Christian walk, was every one of us has a sphere of influence. My sphere of influence, the people around that I have influence with, they're different people than your group, okay, a lot of times. Because oftentimes they do overlap, but sometimes they don't. That God's called me to a specific people, specific things, and God has called you to specific things. And I go, God, do you really, are you really sure that you're calling me to impact that person? Because do you know the, who I am? Do you know the mess that I've been in? Do you know where I, do you know my heart? The quick answer is, of course he knows your heart. And yet he still calls you. Some of us are waiting to get to that magic moment where you never screw up, and then you're called. You, you can't read the Bible without finding a bunch of mess-ups, boneheads, people who just don't have it together. I'm not talking about just the disciple. That's easy. I'm talking about the whole Bible are full of people who don't have it all together, and they may say, you know what? I'm so insecure about myself. Why would God use me? Now, if you feel like you're spiritually inadequate, you're spiritually insufficient, the funds in your spiritual account, eh, you ever know that feeling of, you know, insufficient funds? <laughs> I love that feeling. No, I don't. hate that feeling. My heart starts to palpitate or whatever it is. I, it's starting to beat really fast right now, even thinking about that. But you know what? The reality is we sometimes feel like that spiritually. We say, I don't have anything to offer God I don't have anything to offer this world. What, what, what says that? The insecurities. Now, I could ask all of us, including those who are watching online, 
How many of us, you don't have to raise your hand, because some of us who are insecure are so insecure, you won't even raise your hand, because you're like, I don't even know if I'm, am I really insecure? Well, I just don't know, you know? That's how insecure we are. We just don't know if we, like, what if I raise my hand? What's Dwayne going to think? What's Darlene going to think? They're going to think, Joel's insecure? You better believe I'm insecure. Always. Huh? You know? Even my Pepsi stuff. As simple as that sounds, to put a 12-pack on the shelf, doesn't take a genius, okay? Got to put a monkey up there, and... Boom. But even I'm insecure, I'm like, what if my boss shows up and they find a little whatever? That's just my personal thing. It's as simple as Pepsi as how ridiculously uh, I, I think. But that's how I think about even big stuff. So what I'm going to do is if you're not perfect, if you're insecure, if you don't like yourself, you're a perfect candidate to be used by God. And if you're, if you're perfect, you're a spiritually perfect person, you don't, you, you, you have everything together. You were captain of your football team when you were in high school. You were a prom person in charge, like the queen and king or whatever that is. I didn't even go to the prom. Whatever. You know, all those girls missed out by saying no. Well, I'm just saying that. I actually, I never even asked anybody, so that's why I didn't go. Anyway, but if, you, if you're captain of the football team, you were the head cheerleader, you are all that, you got straight A's, God can still use you. It's just he specializes in using people who are not the prom person. They were not the captain of the football team. I wasn't even good enough to make the water, the, the, the water boy. I didn't try that, but I could kick, and they asked me to be a kicker, but I said, I'm not going to a football team to be able to kick a football, and then that's it. And the reality is, if you feel insecure about yourself, you're a perfect candidate to be used by God. And this is not, I, this is not just theory. This is like practice in my entire life for almost 30 years. So what I want to talk about is one of my favorite things to talk about in all of my life is facing your insecurities. Because the more I grow in Christ, it seems like my insecurities are still back there somewhere speaking to me somewhere. You know, if you really want to be used by God in big ways, you need to be more like that person. You think about some pastors or some preachers, and you go, you need to be a little bit more charismatic than you are. You know, because, you know, Stephen Furtick, who can, he can say, man, I was walking in the house, going to the kitchen to get water, and everybody's like, amen, right? You know, hallelujah, brother. You know, me and my wife were just having an argument. Amen. So, you know, that's right. Some preachers just so charismatic that way, you can say anything you want, and they're like, yes. Me, I'm like, God changed my life. And everybody says, amen. That's the, way, that's, that's the time to do that, right? So facing your insecurities. I don't need to, you don't need to raise your hand, but I'm assuming that most of us, you don't like everything about yourself. And then you start using that as an excuse to why God can't use you because you're disappointing yourself you're disappointed in who, maybe you used to, maybe you felt better about yourself 20 years ago when it comes to the things of God. And you said, I have fallen so short of God's glory this last 10 years. Pastor, if you only knew, I don't know, but you know who knows? God. Does your calling, does it, do you rip the tag off your mattress of your life just because you have walked away from that? No. He says, no, now, today is the day that you move forward. Today is the day that you don't wish that it was like 20 years ago. No, no, today, because you have today. You don't have yesterday. You're not guaranteed tomorrow. You have today. See, 
you may not think that you know enough about the Bible to discuss it with other people. Maybe you know, you know, if you know everything about the Bible, God can still use you. But for some reason, if you don't know a lot about the Bible, he's for some reason going to get you in a situation where you have to teach it or talk to someone about it. It's kind of like when I was a youth pastor, I would say, hey, I got this great insight from God from the Bible, and I started teaching it, and one of the kids in the youth group said, and I said, yeah, give me some, how good am I? And they said, we already heard that when we were two. I'm like, I thought that was a deep thought, you know? So no wonder I'm insecure, right? But God will get you into a position that you have to rely on him and not rely on your own power. It's only his power. So maybe there are some things in your life. Let's move on from that. Maybe you're insecure about your abilities. But not only that, but you're insecure about yourself because of you know where you have failed. See, we, the Bible says we all have fallen short of God's glory. Another translation says you have all fallen short of God's glorious standard. He sets the standard, perfection, and each one of us have fallen short Wherever it is, you know, for some of us, here's God's perfection. We're just a little bit lower than that. If you're being honest, it's like, I'm right here. So if you've fallen short of God's standard, what are you going to do about that? If you're not perfect, are you going to sit there and cry? Are you going to sit there and go, well, I guess it can't be used by God. I guess he's going to have to call someone else. Then you, you can't read the Bible without finding someone that's in that situation that God says, no, I'm using you. Now, I love this scripture because what does, who are you? There's two things that I want you to, we need to excel at. We need to figure out who God is. Who do we say God is? Who do we say Jesus is? And then the second thing we need to excel at is who does God say we are? We need to be good at those, both those. We need to define who God is and we need to be able to define who does God say that we are? Because those voices in our head, maybe it's our own self, maybe it's the devil saying you're no good, or it's other people, those voices are a lot louder oftentimes than the Holy Spirit's whisper. Because the Holy Spirit will whisper in your, this is who you really are. But those voices out there are saying louder things, and we're like, oh, which one's going to win out? Ephesians chapter 2 has the, it is the roadmap of who you really are in Christ. And again, if you're like, well, I, I don't want a sermon that's just like, a, it's, this is not a pep rally. I get it. You remember a pep rally when you're in school, everybody gets excited about the football game or whatever, volleyball, whatever, basketball, and you, it's like the cheerleaders up here. But this verse is going to sound like that because this is better. God views you better than you think he does. God, you know, oh, you know, I'm just such a worm. I just crawl around the dirt all the time. You know, I'm just kind of crawling around and I'm just, in, I'm just in my own mess and what am I supposed to do about myself? I get the sentiment because in our sin, sure. But what, is he, what has God done since we've said yes to Jesus Christ? Are we still that little, tiny little nasty worm in his own little garbage? No. In fact, Ephesians 2.10, pastor, prove it. Okay, I will. If he, here's, here's, I'm citing my sources here. I can't, I'm not just saying it. It says, for we are, what? Say this together. We are God's masterpiece. I don't know Greek, but I heard someone a long time ago use the term for the word masterpiece is how we get the word poem or poetry. 
You are God's poetry, which is a weird way to think about it, but I'm going, what do I do when, when, a little, when Hayden was really little? I still have a picture. We have a picture. It's in a frame of Hayden drawing a penguin, I think it is. And we literally still have that because is it the best drawing in the world? To be blunt, no, it's not. But I wasn't a good artist either. I got a D in art. How do you do that? Trust me. I was able to do it. Just trust me. You got the cream of the crop up here, man. I'll tell you that. D in speech, D in art, wow, okay. The only thing that would be better is if I turned out to be a cartoonist. That would be funny. But what do, what do we see if we go into God's kingdom and what he sees about you guys? You're God's poetry. You're God's poem. You're God's painting. You're God's masterpiece. And I look at myself, no. Have you seen the mess I'm in? Of course, I just saw this up the other, just not that long ago, this painting went for like $75 million. It's like a bunch of scribbles. I have to like see if that's true or not, but it's like you put a bunch of paint on the canvas and they're selling it. But I want you to say that the painting that God has for you, you might feel like a mess, but it's perfect. It's perfect. Not You're not perfect. But God, you're perfectly suited for where God wants to use you. We are what? God's masterpiece. And why can we say that? Why can we say we're not a worm? Why? Because he's created us anew. He created us brand new. You're not the worm anymore. Some of us were Christians and we're still worms because we claim that we are. Oh, I'm just still just this baloney. I'm saying that to myself. You're not, you're created brand new in Christ Jesus as God's masterpiece. Why? You're created brand new so that you can shine. No, no. So that you can do the good things or the good works that he planned for us long ago. You are perfectly suited to do the things that God's called you to do from before you were born. That takes a belief in a big God, in a supernatural God that can see your life before you're even born. And if that's true, you are perfectly suited as you are to do the things that God's called you. Do you know what people don't want? Now you need, we, not you, you, we all need to be growing in our faith. We all need to be disciples. We all need to grow deeper in our walk with God. I am not saying we don't become more like Jesus every single day. Let's just continue to sit back and just let God do it. No, we are supposed to grow. But there are certain parts of your life, your personality, your giftings or non-giftings that you don't like about yourself. God's like, no, I created you exactly like I want you, that you're suited perfectly for that situation. And you're like, I am not suited perfectly for that job because my gifting is opposite. If that's you, I'm like, I know. Trust me. I understand. I get it. You're calling me, God, to do something that I'm not good at. Perfect. I just love that. Why would he do that? Why would he call you to do something that you're not good at? So you have to rely on his power. <gasps> If you're doing it in your own power, look at, how, look at how charismatic that guy is. Wow. I, I, was just, I was just watching some debating online, and there's a specific person on running for president. I won't say who, because I don't want to go there today. But I guess that guy, he's very charismatic. Wow. Naturally, there's certain people that are naturally charismatic that... If, if that was any one of us that were naturally outgoing, we're naturally, we're in our sweet spot, if you will. We're in our gifting. We don't really have to rely on God at all. 
We can all be like Dwayne, man. We could be, we could be good looking, perfect hair, a perfectly groomed beard, right? It's like a commercial, right, for one of those shavers. But see, we're not all like that. We have to rely on the things that God is going to do through us, not in our own ability to grow a great beard, okay? It's, it would be perfect, but whatever. I blame this on my dad. But anyway, so the question I want to ask is who does God most often use? See, if you read the Bible from Genesis to Revelation and every book in between, every I'm talking about every book in the Bible, you will find some buddy there that's going to fit one of three, or maybe all three at the same time. The number one thing is, who does God most often use? He uses the unlikely. I say this a lot because it's true about me, but when you were in elementary school, if you were ever in a long line of group of kids and you're being called to go on a specific team, do you want to be on team A or team B? Some of us, we waited to the very last person to be picked if we were lucky. Some of us, we had the dog come up and he was on the team before they were, right? Oh, oh, get that kindergarten girl on the sixth grade team. She could do better than you, Joel. Okay, that's fine, whatever. Oh, it's soccer team. Just go sit by, go sit by the goalie and just stand there in front of the goalie. It doesn't really matter. I'm like, so you are a candidate to be used by God even if you feel like you're, un, you're, you're, you're like forgotten about. If no one would choose you in that position... You're trying out for a specific team or a job, and they look at you and go, nope, 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 nope. Man, I don't even know what. Oh, perfect, right there. See, we're not, most of us, we don't feel that way. We feel the opposite, overlooked. That's human tendency. But God, he uses the unlikely. In fact, I'm going to have a few verses here in, in uh, 1 Samuel 16. We, we know the story, so I'm not going to read it, but... It is the story of Samuel, who God used Samuel to anoint the next king of Israel. They were in big trouble. The the nation was in big trouble. They needed to anoint a king while there was another king. And what I love about the story of David is I always felt that David was, you know, he was was the cream of the crop. He was the best. But not when he was a kid. Nobody wanted to choose him. He was a junior shepherd. Okay, so Samuel, who gets the calling from God to go anoint the next king. Now, God told him where to go, but he didn't say specifically right, right away. I, thought that, I find that fascinating. God, can't you be a little bit more specific than that? There's a guy named David. Okay, I'll go last for David. But he know which household to go to. And then he goes to anoint the next king, and look at this. This is hilarious. It really is. First Samuel 16. And by the way, we would all do this. Who are you supposed to pick to be the next whatever? Who are you supposed to pick to be the next pastor? Who are you supposed to pick to next be the next president? You're going to find the person that fits the bill. They're going to look the part. Okay? Number one, in verse six, this is, there's two verses here. The first part of this, he says, when they arrived, Samuel took one look at Eliab, the oldest, and he said, surely this is the Lord's anointed. Why would he say that? First of all, I'm a little disappointed in Samuel, a man of God who was for sure praying because he knew where to go. But he never asked, Lord, can you be a little more specific? He used his, 
human judgment based on what he sees from the outward appearance. If I look at you, if I look at you, if I look at all of us, they're more suited to this God life than I am because of this or that. He looked at Eliab and he said, man, he's the tallest. He's the most handsome. He's kingly. Maybe it's not the most kingly that's supposed to be the next king. Maybe it's not supposed to be the next best-looking person to be suited in that position. Maybe it's the one that no one else would pick. Then verse 7, God answers him right away. Surely this is God's chosen person. But the Lord said to Samuel, don't judge by his appearance or height, for I've rejected him. The Lord He's not looking at the outward appearance or looking at your natural giftings. Again, this is not a sermon against giftings. If you were born with a natural ability, there's probably a reason to have that. Okay, it's just true. Okay? When I was first a Christian, we were so locked in trying to find where we're gifted at that we stopped. We weren't even being used by God because I was so, I was taking tests and I was doing this. And There's nothing wrong with these tests, these spiritual gift tests. I've done it. They always prove, they always say the exact same thing about me. And it's the giftings that I don't want. The gift of helps? Are you kidding me? How stupid is that? I don't want a gift of helps. How, oh, I'll help. It's fine. You know, and I feel more, I feel very uh, fulfilled when I'm helping. You know, it's like, this is not the one that I want. But anyway, I was so stuck on taking those tests and doing all these things. Where am I gifted? I'm like, I don't know where I'm gifted. My pastor would say, give me one gifting. No, 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 give me one gifting. I'm like, hmm, um, I have a twin. No, no, gifting. What? I don't know. Oh, you need someone to teach Sunday school? I'll do that. You sure? Okay. Um, yeah, sure, go ahead. And that's where they got the ball rolling for teaching the Bible. But see, the Lord, he doesn't see things the way that you see them. I love that fact. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. I want you to think about outward appearance of not only just the looks, but they look the part. It's someone that's so obvious. They're presidential or they're, they're, very, um, they're very wise. They're very smart. I mean, who better to use a business, like a business savvy person in a certain business, a CEO, than a business savvy person? Who better to be a pastor than someone that knows how to preach or they're very, they're, they're hard, they're very, they're very um, you know, comforting or they're very, it's, you know, they're, they're very compassionate. God doesn't always call the people who you would say, oh, this is the person. Because all of a sudden, Samuel goes from person to person to person, and he goes in age. Like, okay, this one? No, that one? No. And God says, nope, 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 nope. I have the one that's somewhere else. David, we've done this story so many times. I, I'm, I'm very careful here because I want us to read this like it's, I want us to, to feel this story. Because David was last on the list. In fact, I'll say it this way. David wasn't even on the list of candidates. If he was on the list, they would have brought him in there. Because the father, he brought all of the sons except for David. And some of some people say, well, it's because he was, he was the shepherd that time, so he couldn't leave his flock. That's possible if you read into the story. The father, he goes, I have one more, but he's out in the field. He's, he's just a little kid. He's just a snot. You don't want that little brat. He's not very kingly. 
He doesn't play the kingly political role. He doesn't look the part. He's not so kingly. It goes on. Because God says, this guy's the one. It's the one I choose. See, I love that story because it proves something that God has told me from day one. I mean, literally when I first became a Christian, it was the first thing that God revealed to me in a very strong way because I needed to hear it. I've always felt ignored. See, I always tease about being a twin, but you know the problem with being a twin? Nobody knew your name. Nobody knew my name. They, could, they were so afraid to be wrong, they would tell me, hey, smile. Because Jason had braces, I did not. I wish they would have got me braces, I'm just saying. But for some reason, the orthodontist didn't think I needed braces. I had the same buck teeth. Right? Anybody else had buck teeth when you were growing up, please? Yay! <laughs> Three of us. The rest of us had perfect teeth from day one. Anyway, I always felt, <sighs> you, can't even, you don't even know my name. I have to smile in order to you know that I'm Joel because my brother and I look pretty similar. We sound the same. But the very first day of being a Christian, God revealed to me that what this story is telling you is that God loves to use those who are overlooked by others. Because from day one, I felt in my heart, because when I gave my life to Christ, it was at an altar. I went to the altar. God completely changed my heart. My faith was my own. Now, I struggled after that. But day one, when I said yes to Christ, the first thing he said is, I'm going to use you. I didn't know what that meant. It's like, okay, so I'm going to be on God's team. I don't ever get picked for be on any team. Are you sure? You want me just to sit in the back and just kind of, no, 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 I'm not going to have you be a goalie. Okay, whatever. But God loves using those who are often overlooked. So God uses the unlikely. Number two, I love this because it's me. God uses the insecure. See, in the book of Judges, the nation of Israel was they committed mass sin across the nation. And God, who is judge, I want to say it right now, God is loving, God is kind, God is patient, God is good, but he's also judge. Sorry, not sorry. So he can't stand back from sin for that long. He can, he can let things go for a, little, for a season, but after a while, he's going to say, nope, I'm going to let you, uh, I'm gonna let you go and you're open game for whatever happens. So the Midianites attacked the people of God. God said, go ahead. The Midianites are going to take you on. And then God called someone to rescue the people. His name was Gideon. And Gideon, what I love about Gideon is he's very insecure. He's one of my favorites. Especially what God calls him is not what fits who he is. God's name for you might not fit your natural tendency. It might be, I have to trust that God's telling the truth here. Because what's happening when the Midianites are attacking, he's very insecure, he's afraid, he's hiding. And at the very same time of being in hiding, this angel shows up. And the angel, remember the word angel means messenger. He's a messenger of God. He's speaking God's word to Gideon. He sees this angel and the, the angel calls him an awesome name. The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. You don't, you don't call someone a mighty warrior who's in hiding. 
God is with you, you mighty guppy. That makes sense. I'll be the mightiest guppy that there is. I'm not going to be a strong guppy, I'm go, I'm go, but I'm going to be a mighty guppy. I'm not going to be the best guppy, but I'm going to be, it might not be strong. Dwayne, you might be here and you're going to be a strong person. You're just this strong guy. I'll just be a guppy. I'm fine with that. But that's not what God calls him. He says, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. He's saying this, and I can see the angel just in hiding too. He's like on his knee like this. He's going, you're a mighty warrior. And he's like, yeah, okay, sure. And Gideon's insecurities were shouting louder than God's affirmation. Once you get that clear, sometimes our insecurities shout a lot louder than God does. I wish that God would just yell physically at me when I need to hear him. But he does not do that. He'll say, you're perfect for the part that I have for you in this world. But my insecurities are a lot louder. Nope. Do you know what kind of mess you're in? Which voice is going to win out? Because look at Gideon in in, um, Judges chapter 6. Because God's calling him to rescue Israel. So Judges chapter 6 verse 15, he says this. But Lord, Gideon replied, how can I rescue Israel? Here's his excuses. My clan is the weakest in the whole tribe of Manasseh. And I am the least in my entire family. God, look at my family. Look at my family history. Look at my ancestors. Have, did, you see the, did you see what kind of people they were? Do you know what kind of person that I, this, the world I came into, I'm lucky to be alive. Right? I mean, I am the least person in the least family, in the least tribe, in the least group of people. I'm the least of the least of the least. That's why I'm hiding. And God says, no, you are a mighty warrior. Now, listen to me, church. There's a bunch of reasons why you think that you cannot be used by God. Now, remember what Ephesians said. God created you brand new in Christ Jesus so that you can do the good works that God called you to do long ago. He called you long ago. Listen, that's why you exist. That's why you live. That's why we don't just go to heaven when, we're, when we give our life to Christ. Why? Because he has a job for you. He has a role for you to play that only you are perfectly suited for that role. You can't be replaced. It's kind of like on the Seahawks. They need to have this, they need to live this out because they're not in the playoffs. But I mean, it's always next man up. Well, if I'm not good enough, just grab that guy and he'll be good enough. No, not in the kingdom of God. It's you or nobody. It's us or nobody. God is calling you and me to do the great things that God's called us to do long ago. And he's perfectly suited you exactly how you're supposed to play that role. That doesn't give you permission not to grow. But it does give you permission to go, you know what? I'm not quite happy with how I am, my, my speaking ability, or I can't memorize the Bible, or I don't like praying out loud. That's a big one that someone would say, okay, Joel, I want you to pray out loud. I'm like, oh, I'd rather go get my taxes done. I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. See, God called you. You can write down a list of things why you cannot be called. Give it to God, and God goes, I'm not even looking at it. He puts it through his shredder. 
Yeah. And then you're taking the little strips of paper, you're trying to glue it together. No, look. And he does it again. And then now it's not just strips. Now it's little cubes of little squares of paper. He can't glue it back together. And you're like, he goes, no, you're called. I've called you. Sure, you're not gifted at that, but now you have to trust me. Imagine that. What kind of person trusts God? Someone that's discipled correctly. We trust God. He is strong enough. You may feel insecure. Good. I wrote that down in, my, in, in a pen yesterday. Joel, you might feel insecure and you might not feel good about yourself. Good. Why? Because it'll teach you two things about being used by God. Number one, you need to, under, we, we, I don't ever want to preach you. We, we must heavily and solely rely on the power of the Holy Spirit to fill us up to power us up, to lead us and guide us and direct us where we need to go. That's the first thing that we need, we need to remember. We need to be filled with the Holy Spirit, where he's showing us where to go. He's leading us where to go. He's anointing us. Who can change someone's life in your world, in your sphere of influence? Someone that's not powered by God or someone that's anointed by God? The, the answer is obvious. Someone that's anointed with God's presence, you can literally walk in someone's room, in someone's house, and they don't, they can't explain it. It's it's like why in the early church, and this is crazy because I've never seen it with my physical eyes. If it wasn't the Bible, I'd have a hard time believing this. But when someone walk in, Peter's shadow healed someone. How many of us? This might seem very unspiritual. How many of us have a hard time buying that? Okay, because and why 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 did his? It wasn't his shadow. It was the glory of God. It was anointing. Peter couldn't do it on his own self. You know? When you have the glory of God overwhelming you and directing you and guiding you and speaking to you, you can definitely be used by God. And number two, we need to learn this. We need to learn the power of partnership with other people. If we want to be used by God, nobody should do it alone. Nobody should do it in, by themselves. We need to lean upon the power of partnership. Not only the power of the Holy Spirit, but the power of partnership when it comes to other believers. People who are like-minded. People who, who they want to see people saved. They want to see people change. They want to see people come run to the altar. And it might not, the altar might not be in this building. It might be out in the community. It might be in, this, it might be in at Cloninger's. The most powerful prayers I've ever prayed, and I'm not a, one of those people that pray over everybody in the grocery store, trust me. Like, what most people do to be saved? Come up front, I'm going to pray for you right now. I don't do that. But there was a few times in aisle two, someone needed prayer so bad. I said, I don't care what happens. If they can get a 12-pack of diet squirt or whatever, diet sun-kissed, go for it. I'm praying. And I prayed over this individual, and they're weeping. And I go, that's ministry right there. Not this. Not this. This is fun. This is fun. I enjoy this. My speech teacher would not believe it, but, you know, that's fine. But that's real ministry. And who did that? Pastor Joel didn't go up and go, I think I'm going to say I'm going to pray for someone today. No, if she wouldn't have come up to me in the aisle, someone I know, I never would have prayed for her. Because, again, I don't go up and make myself a spectacle in front of people, usually, just in front of you guys. <laughs> That's different. 
And last but certainly not least, God uses failures. Anybody a failure at things? I want to read something very quick. It's going to be in Acts chapter 7 and Acts chapter 8, a couple verses. The story of Stephen, who was a deacon of the early church. He was a servant. He literally fed food to the widows. And then there's persecution, and the church starts at that moment with a guy named Saul. Look at Acts chapter 7. This is some of the strangest, most challenging scripture. It says in Acts chapter 7, verse 57 and 58, because he's preaching, he's saying, you know, you crucified him. They put their hands over their ears and they began shouting. They rushed at Stephen and they dragged him out of the city and they began to stone him. His accusers took off their coats and laid them at the feet of a young man named what? Saul. Remember that guy. Because you know him. You're like, I know, I've already read the Bible. Stop. You don't know. Saul is Saul. Right now he's being used to accept and go, okay, go ahead and kill him. And he goes, you know, the people are stoning him like, Phew. okay, is this okay? And Saul's like, and they put their coats by, by his feet. That's his acceptance of what's going on. Because Saul is, he's a young man. He's a young Pharisee. He's the Pharisee of Pharisees, he said, calls himself. Chapter 8, verse 1. Saul was one of the witnesses, and he agreed completely with the killing of Stephen. A great wave of persecution began that day, sweeping over the church in Jerusalem. And all the believers, except the apostles, were scattered through the regions of Judea and Samaria, which, by the way, that needed to happen to reach the world. So it was through a negative thing that caused God's will to be done, by the way. That spread the gospel around the known world at that time. Verse 2 and 3. Some devout men came and buried Stephen with great mourning, but Saul was going everywhere to destroy the church. What was he doing? Destroying the church. Everybody say destroying the church. That's what he was doing. That was his goal. His number one goal was to eradicate the church. Why? Because he felt like he was doing God's will. He did. He felt that these Christians were getting in the way of the Jewish way of living. So he's he went, what did Saul do? He went from house to house, and he dragged out both men and women to throw them into prison. Why is that? When you go to prison, you're going to die. So instead of killing them right there on the spot, he dragged them, put them in prison, let them handle the killing. So in a roundabout way, Saul is murdering Christians. Now that's his history. That's his story. He's got a history if you look at his story, in a sense, he's a failure because he killed a person named Stephen and other Christians, other men and women. And then Saul has a powerful encounter with Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus, and he gets blind. God calls him into ministry. We call him Paul. And Paul, in fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, I love this. Because have you ever messed up? Do you have a history? You haven't killed other Christians, I don't think. But you know what? You have a history, and so did Paul. Because ultimately, Paul, whose main goal was to kill Christians, his main goal after that was to reach everybody for Christ. Everybody he met, he would reach them. He was a tent maker. I love that. He worked outside of the church, and he reached everybody for Christ that he could. That was his goal. But then he always had this in his mind. Up to the day that they beheaded him in Rome, he had this idea of, 
Look at where I've come from. First Corinthians chapter 15. He still thought very poorly of himself. I am the least of all the apostles. Dang. Ouch. I'm not that good, he's saying. In fact, I'm not even worthy to be called an apostle after the way I persecuted God's church. I love this. But whatever I am now, you can't even define what he is right now. Whatever I am right now, it's all because God poured out his special favor and actually the word special anointing on me and not without results. For I've worked harder than any of the other apostles. We need to work on Paul's pride, but that's another sermon. Yet it was not I, but it was God who was working through me by his grace. It wasn't because of Paul's grace, but I do have a, you know, my theory is who better to use to reach the people for Christ than the one who used to kill them? I mean, he has a history. It's horrible. It's horrific. He's a murderer. He goes in your house and grabs you by the hair, and then you go to prison and die just for being a Christian. The same guy, he's saying, you know what? I am the least. I'm not even worthy to be called apostle, but for some reason they're calling me apostle. For some reason, God's calling me apostle. He goes, but it's not me that's actually doing the results. It is actually God who is working through me. How? By his grace. I want to close in prayer, but God uses imperfect people. Jacob was a liar. God still used him. Moses was a murderer, and he buried the body in the sand. God still used him. David had an affair and had the man killed, and God still used him. Jonah ran from God, and yet God used Jonah to save the entire city. Elijah was depressed. My point is, time and time again, people were failures, and they weren't who, who they felt they were supposed to be. God still used them. So stop doubting yourself. Who does God say that you are? You are a mighty warrior, a life changer, full of God's Holy Spirit. That's who you are. That's who you are. That's who God says you are. Let's pray. Father, I pray for my friends here, my brothers and sisters. I pray that they would truly get what's being said here, that they are not garbage. They're not unplanned. They're planned perfectly by you. And they might not be happy about the things that they have done in their past, but it's forgiven. And it's by your grace that not only we were saved, but it's by your grace that you work through us. Thank you for the stories of Paul because he has a wonderful story, a wonderful testimony of God's goodness to wretch, wretches like us, worms like us, that he uses people and changes us forever. We thank you and we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. We'll see you next time.